Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. All right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. It's good to, to be with you if you're new with us. My name's Landon, as Amberly said, and uh, yeah, thankful I get to be one of the team members here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Isaiah chapter 58. We'll, we'll spend some time there. If you haven't been with, with us for the, the past uh, number of weeks, we've been in this series that we also call a practice uh, because we're, we're practicing the way of Jesus together, and we've been practicing fasting for about a month now. And hopefully that has uh, been good for me. It, it has been. And as I've been processing this month and this practice, we're going to be ending today on that this passage out of Romans chapter 12 came to my mind. And I'm going to read it and then we'll get into Isaiah in just a, a few moments here. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read passages like this in the the scriptures, and I think that sounds really beautiful and powerful and good. And how in the world does that actually happen? What are the steps to renewing your minds, to not conforming to the patterns of this world around us? And as I've been engaging alongside many of you in this fasting practice, I found that fasting is such a beautiful and helpful tool for this. I cannot renew my mind on my own, but rather I need to be dependent upon the Spirit to do so. And as I fast, I'm finding God doing that good work. At first, I think fasting can be really challenging. It's been kind of interesting for me. Uh, Throughout this month, I've primarily fasted on Tuesdays, sunrise to to sundown, except for one week. My schedule was crazy, so Tuesday didn't work. I, I did a different day. I found, though, especially this week, by Thursday or Friday... I actually was wanting that experience again. And don't get me wrong, not the like skipping the food part, but there's something that happens that I'm experiencing this month as it becomes actually easier to depend on Christ instead of to depend on self. When, when fasting is this tool, it's this bridge that allows that to happen. So I hope that's been the, the case for you. Maybe you haven't uh, participated with us. I encourage you to do so throughout this month, we've talked about a number of different reasons for fasting that we, we see in the scriptures. The first one we talked about how it is to offer ourselves to Jesus. And when we do so, there's reward and there's good in it. And, and I've experienced that. The second week, we talked about how it causes us to grow in holiness. We don't grow holy ourselves, but in this time, the spirit works. Last week, Nate did a really great job of talking about how fasting amplifies our prayers, when we combine the the power of fasting and prayer together, there's a deeper level of power within those things. And then today's kind of different. All of those have been really internal. 
internal transformation. Today we're going to talk a little bit about external transformation and connecting the dots between fasting and standing with the poor. And we, we see a clear biblical call to that. I'm going to begin just sharing some statistics. In our world right now, there's around 2 billion people who live in poverty. Around 10% of the global population, or 700 million people, live in what we call extreme poverty, which is a little less than $2 a day, which on most of my average days takes me like 35 minutes to spend. Here, the extreme poverty rate's even higher, 11.6%, over 40 million people, near 40 million. Most of them are children. 22,000 children die daily from poverty-related issues and complexities. Think about that. 22,000 children daily. Not just statistics, not just a portion of a political theory, but 22,000 humans that God loves, family members, friends, neighbors, die every single day. And yet, in, in my life, trash day is on Tuesday, so the trash gets picked up on, on Tuesday. And, and my wife and I disagree about a good number of things in life. We agree on a lot of things as well. But one of the things we disagree about is how long food is good for. I don't think it's good for very long, you know, like a couple days. My wife thinks somehow it's good eternally. Like, if it's in there, it's good. What we do agree on, though, is that if there's a, a good time to throw food away, it's on Monday nights because the trash gets picked up on Tuesday. And then wild animals aren't knocking the trash cans down and it doesn't have to smell terrible the, the rest of the week, which leads me to a few other statistics in our country. The average family of four in the U.S. spends 1500 a year on food they throw away. 40% of food in America is thrown out. Estimates range from 80 to 160 billion, it's a big number, 80 to 160 billion, try to wrap your mind around that really quick, pounds, 80 to 160, or 80 to 160 billion pounds of food waste per year in our country. So then there's this kind of crazy tension. Millions of men, women, and, and children are hungry, and then millions have more than enough food that then we, then we know what to do with. You could fall into either of those categories. More than likely, you have more than enough. We're pretty blessed to live where we live, varying degrees. We shouldn't feel bad about that. But the question becomes, though, do we care about others? We don't have to shift our reality and the blessings God has provided, the realities we have, but do we care about anyone else? Or are we just drowning in our own sets of desires and fears and bills and anxieties that we don't have time to think about those who are in need? Maybe this aspect of, of fasting is unfamiliar or, or new to you, but throughout the scriptures we see a, a clear connection to fasting and, and caring about the poor. Uh, in Isaiah 58, this is discussed. Uh, one, of, one of our elders who's 
uh, li- living in Phoenix right now, so he probably won't be an elder for much longer, but one of my just dear friends and an incredible influence on my life in this church, Bill Eaton, was here. He was visiting. I had, to, or had the, the privilege of having dinner with him last night, and then he was here with us for our first service, and he said, I didn't even know this. He said, Isaiah 58 is my favorite because it's this, this view of biblical justice that's so important but maybe for many of us, it's, it's easy to ignore. And for context, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to his people that are to follow in his ways. And they've been fasting and it's not working. And they're kind of frustrated because it seems as if fasting has no point. And they're, they're getting it wrong. They, like us, had a tendency to do religious things, spiritual disciplines, to try to earn something from God. Here's a portion of their lives they'd give to God, and then they'd go on living however they wanted in the other compartments of life. And that's not what God wants from us. We started this whole series saying that. If you're engaging in fasting or any other spiritual discipline to try to earn God's love or favor to get him to hear you better, just stop. It's not going to work. That's not what this is about. And what we'll read about that here. I'm going to begin reading... In verse 3, they say to God, why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? They're feeling as if this spiritual discipline of fasting is worthless. It's not making an impact. And God responds to them. He says this, that on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord. And then we see this transition in verse 6 where God will actually explain what he wants us to pursue. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Let's put that in a a list form so we can kind of soak it in a little bit easier. What we see from from this passage and all throughout the scriptures, really cover to cover, is a call to this, a call to fight injustice, a call to free people from oppression, a call to share your food with the hungry, to provide shelter to refugees, immigrants, and those with no home, to clothe the naked, and lastly, to meet the practical needs of people all around you. Let me just leave that out for a second. When is the last time any or all of those six were a substantial portion of your life in any way? For me, it's way easier. It is way more natural to think about my needs and concerns and to-do lists and bills and things I want to provide for my family. And I'm distracted by those things pretty frequently. Most of the time. Yet not just here in Isaiah 58, but throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, we see a call to these things. Now, I'm not the the smartest person in the world or in this room by any means, but I, I have a 
feeling. Some of you right now are having like real red thoughts or real blue thoughts. Real Republican thoughts or real Democrat thoughts. So I'm going to scare everybody a little bit. It'll be great. One of my, my favorite words is becoming the word tired. We use it pretty flippantly. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. But like think about that phrase, to be tired of something. I don't know about you, but I am tiring of the political options that we have before us. The, the choices I get to make. I can choose between this or that, and it often seems I have to either be completely red or completely blue. I have to choose this thing and pair it with that thing. I have to think about social justice, per, for instance, in this way, but then if I do that, I have to tie that to the economy in this way. That's tiring. I want to just step back and go, what is the way of Jesus? And instead we argue and get heated and get angry. And we're called to care. And we're called to vote. We did a whole series on this. We're called to be faithful citizens to King Jesus and to, to where we reside on a, a local level and a national and a state level. It's not my job to inform you on who to vote for next November, which will be thrilling, <laughs> nor to inform you on what props to vote yes or no on or different political theories. But I do want to ask, are your decisions going to be informed by the way of Jesus? And you can make arguments with any color you want, but are your decisions going to be informed by the vision of what Jesus has said is good. And it's not simple. It's complex. It's, it's kind of funny as I stand here today, I've, I've wrestled with this at different times, but in this season and in this moment, I do feel called by God to be here at Restoration Church in the position I am leading. And I'm thankful that God has me here right now in this season. I feel passionate about God's church because at the end of the day, I wholeheartedly believe there is no other person, there's no other human. It's not my, my parents or my wife or my kids. It's not you, the person to your left or right. It's not me. There's nobody that is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. That's why we say this constantly. There is nobody that won't fail me and you at some point other than Jesus. And we like to say it like this. The moment that Jesus will not be trustworthy is a moment that will never exist. And so often I've seen and witnessed churches and myself put Jesus into this tiny little compartment, this little box. We stuff him into this spiritual religious box, like it's a section in a bookstore, and say, you belong here, Jesus. And he's like, no, I belong everywhere. I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. I am to influence all of life. You're to trust me in everything. And I'm passionate about that. And for now, God has called me in this season to this. You know what he's not called me to? singing for you over there where Nate sings to you. That's not my calling, and that's good news for all of us. Both Nate and I have unique callings in this season. There's some things that are specific callings God gives to us, and then there's other general callings that we're all called to, and this list of six that's up on the screen right now are things that we are all called to. No matter who you vote for or how you identify or what political side you want to be a part of, we're called to these things. And I want to be honest and go, that's complex because I might not like how you do it. I might think that plan is a disaster and won't work. 
fact, it might do more harm than good. And you might think that about my style. That's okay. We're not necessarily called to agree on that. What we are called to do as people who claim Christ is to care. And if I'm being honest, I probably don't care enough, often enough, because I'm real busy caring about me. And I'm guessing there's a good chance you're really busy caring about you. I'll continue in, in verse 8 here of Isaiah 58. We read this. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. This is our call, to be a light to the nations. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord Yahweh will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. That is beautiful. That is good news. It's a part of all of our calling to, to care for those in need. I love how John Mark Comer discusses this. He says, we can't separate our relationship with God from our relationship with our neighbor. We can't separate our relationship with God from our relationship with neighbor. And then he adds, fasting is a way to love God and love our neighbor at the same time. Fasting is a, a way to pull us out of the everyday norms. Fasting is a way to, to pull us out of the, the muck of our normal mindfulness about me and to offer us some perspective. I want to talk about two things now, two things that are happening as we fast with the perspective to stand with the poor. First is this. When we do that, it helps us out of obsession with our problems and gives us some much-needed perspective and awareness. Again, because I'm obsessed with me and you're obsessed with you. It's the foundational problem for many of us. Perhaps a, a good way to, to think about this type of fasting is that it shocks us out of self-obsession. Or maybe you can think of it as saving us from drowning in a pool of our own worries and fears and desires and wants. Like a, a kid that can't swim and is just getting overwhelmed in those waters. That's how we are. We're overwhelmed by us, and we need the Spirit to save us from us. Regularly going without food by choice can put us in touch with those who are going without food not by choice. It can give us a tiny little glimpse that moves us from the place of political theory to people God loves that moves us from a place of statistics that we have no emotional connection with to, to stories of people that, that matter. The denial of our stomach can connect to what's happening in our hearts. We can begin to feel the compassion of God, to care about what God cares about, to be concerned with what concerns him, to see what he sees, to hear what he hears, and just a little tiny portion at a time. It's probably all we can handle. Fasting as it gives ourselves to Jesus, as it grows us in holiness, as it amplifies our prayers, can also, like I just said, help us to see what the Father sees. Let him guide our, our vision, our hearing, the longings of our heart, what we care about. Second thing that, that happens when we fast with this perspective of, of the poor in mind is that it motivates us to share what we have. 
We're all called to practice generosity, whether we have a lot or a little. And the reality is there are people in need all around you constantly. It shouldn't be hard for us to, to find people in need to bless. If so, it means we've really isolated our circles. We need to get out a little bit more. Will we give up by not eating breakfast or, or lunch or dinner for a day? Maybe we use that to, to help somebody in need, to pay for a little bit of some medical bills, whatever it is. There's a, a tangible connection and what we give up, we can then give. So we don't just talk about justice, but we, we do it. I love 1 John 3, 16 through 18, we read this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Again, I, I want to be clear. This is a call that is placed on all of us. It doesn't have to be complex. It can be simple. But it needs to include both caring and doing. Less arguing, more caring, and more doing. letting go of always being overwhelmed by our own needs and desires and wants and values and asking God to give us some additional perspective beyond us. I've been reading through, uh, through First Peter, and it's, it's an amazing letter, and we're going to spend some time in it, about eight weeks uh, in the coming months. But there's this part where Peter writes to this, this church, and he says, cast your cares upon the Father, because he cares for you. This call to stand with the poor is not a call to, to not care about yourself. Jesus cared about you enough to give up his life for you on the cross. This is an and, not an instead. It's okay to have the concerns we have. Jesus cares about you. Cast your cares upon him. And we should care about the other people he cares about. And that includes the poor. There's an emphasis on those in need. I uh, have shared before how I coach a, a high school basketball team, and uh, that's been something fun that I've, I've done for, for many years. And we had our, our last game like a week and a half ago down in Chandler, and uh, it was a playoff game, and we were the number 15 seed playing the number two seed. So we had a, a tall task ahead of us, and we were down to seven players because of grades and, and all kinds of issues. And there's this kid on the team named Manny. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to talk about you, Manny. Don't worry about it. He just got so nervous. There's a kid on our team named Luke. He's not here, so I can talk about him. And he, uh, definitely the most talented kid on our team. I've had him for four years. We talk and text. He's, he's an amazing kid. He works hard. He was a great leader. He taught the younger kids. Uh, really, really talented. And I needed him to show up big because we only had seven guys, and this is a challenging game. Throughout the year, Lucas had this problem. He loves highlights. He wants to be on highlights, and he's capable of some highlights. So he is always trying to have the most epic blocked shots in a game, and he flies up, and he's swinging. And I've told him all season, 
You're too important for that. Like, it's selfish. You need to stop doing that so you don't get in foul trouble because on your fifth foul, you're out of the game. And within 30 seconds of this game, he goes up for a block. And he swings his hand, and he hits a little bit of the ball, and then he slaps a whole lot of the guy that was shooting. And you hear the slap of his hand on this guy's arm, and then it's like the whole world went to slow-mo. As the, the ref is bringing his whistle to his mouth and making this motion for the foul, Here's Luke, and he's just in slow-mo turning towards me, like a son who's looking at a very disappointed father. And he's like, I know, coach. Coach, I know. And in my head, I'm like, no, you don't. And he's like, I got it, I got it. I'm like, all right, but you cannot get another foul. We're 30 seconds in, and you're going to have to play like the whole game. He's like, I got it, coach. We go down for an offensive possession. I think we scored. We come back. Next play. You have any guesses what Luke does next? He goes for a block. He gets a little bit of the ball. He slaps a whole lot of the player. And in slow-mo again, instantly, he goes, I know, coach. I got this. And now my patience is, is gone. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't got this and you don't know. I think you're confused about what the words I know mean. You can't do this again. So I'm like, listen, Luke, come here. It's like the middle of the game. I'm like, I don't care. Just come right here. And he runs over, and I'm like, you cannot get another foul. If you're the last guy, give up a layup. If they're shooting, step back. Do whatever you need to do. We'll give up points, but we cannot have you not playing the rest of the game. And he guesses what he says. I got it, coach. I know. He makes it about two more minutes. He gets another foul. Mike, I got to pull him out of the game or he's going to be out. We make it to halftime. We talk about it. He comes back out of the locker room, and we're about to start the second half, and he goes to the scores table, and he asks them how many fouls he has, and they tell him three. Again, when you get your fifth foul, you're out of the game. And so I realized in this moment I had a hard decision. I thought to myself, for the very first time, I need to lie to one of my players. And so I look at Luke. And then his girlfriend, Michaela, is a manager on the team. She helps with equipment and statistics and stuff. And I'm like, Michaela, come here. She's like, I need you to go tell Luke that he has four fouls. She's like, oh, I looked it up, coach. He only has three. I'm like, I know he only has three. I need you to go lie to him and tell him that he has four. Because he keeps telling me, I know, coach, I got this. And he doesn't know. He doesn't got this. And so she walks up to him slowly. And it was the most amazing Oscar-worthy performance I've ever seen. I mean, it was like almost tears in her eyes, like, Luke, this is your last game potentially, and I want you to be able to play. If you get one more foul, you're out. There's four fouls. He's like, no, no, no. I just talked to the scores table. They said I have three. And I'm like, Luke, I just talked to him. You got four. And guess what? He didn't get one more foul the rest of the game, and he played a great game. And then at the end, I'm like, hey, man, I'm sorry I lied to you, but you kept telling me you knew and you got this, and you did not know. And we lost, but it was fun. He did well. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm often a whole lot like Luke. I tell Jesus, I know. I got this. I know. I got this. I think that I have the power and the self-control to get over me and to not be constantly inundated, drowning, and what I want to build and pursue and provide and get away from. Told Jesus, I know, I got this. And he's like, no, Landon, you don't got this. 
And the quicker as followers of Jesus, we can get to a place where we can step back and go, Jesus, I know I don't got this. I need you. The better it goes. And something I've, I've found in this fasting practice is that fasting forces us to be honest with ourselves. Fasting forces us to a different level of self-awareness because we genuinely think we got it, and we just don't. And I found it to be such a, a beautiful, powerful, effective tool to go, Holy Spirit, lead me. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when we fast with the poor in mind, what I'm finding is that the Spirit works and shifts how I begin to think and what I begin to feel and what I'm consistently concerned with because God knows I need help with that. Again, my guess is you do too. As we close this, this series, my, my hope is that this is not the end of our practice, though our, our groups will wrap up this week. I'm trying to figure out what will this look like in an ongoing way for me because it's been good. And I, I hope as a church we can continue that. Uh, throughout the, the next year, we'll have some probably church-wide fasts we'll communicate about and ask you to participate in with us. But my hope is that we can make this a continuing thing. Maybe you get together with someone in your group periodically and see how things are going. But if, if Jesus truly is the only one trustworthy always no matter the moment, then I think this is such a helpful way to be shocked back into the reality of trusting him instead of self because that's true. He is. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love, for your wisdom. Thank you that you care about us. Lord, I pray that you give us perspective. Pray that you save us from ourselves. Help us to care. Help us to love. Help us to have thick skin and soft hearts. To be willing to dive into the complexity and be misunderstood. To be generous towards others. To be hospitable. By the power of your spirit, lead us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for tuning in to our teaching of the week. We are so grateful to partner with you in sharing the love of Jesus in a world that really deeply longs for it. And whether you're new here, seeking more information, looking for a church community, or considering financial partnership, go ahead and visit restorationaz.org for more details. Okay, let's continue making a difference together. So how do we do that? By remembering Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.